0: Hello everyone, this is Fahed, I'm here with Poppy. Hello. And this is the third episode of Audiobookish. Today we're going to be talking about The Mermaid of Black Conch by uh, Monique Roffey. Would you like to introduce Monique, Poppy, please? I
1: can do. So here's her bio. So Monique Roffy was born in Port of Spain, Trinidad, and mostly educated in the UK. She's the author of six books, five novels, and a memoir. Three of her novels are set in Trinidad and the Caribbean region. The White Woman on the Green Bicycle, 2009, was shortlisted for the Orange Prize in 2010 and the Encore Award in 2011. Archipelago, 2012, won the OCM BOCS Award for Caribbean Literature in 2013 and was shortlisted for the Orion Award 2014. House of Ashes, published in 2014, is a novel drawn from historical events and tells the story of a botched coup d'etat. It was shortlisted for the Costa Fiction Award 2015 and longlisted for the OCM VOCAS Award in 2015. A new novel, The Tryst, was published in July 2017 by Indie Press Dodo Inc. Her memoir, With the Kisses of His Mouth, traces a personal journey of midlife sexual self-discovery. She is a lecturer on the MFA in Creative Writing at the Manchester Writing School, Manchester Metropolitan University, and tutor for the Norwich Writers' Centre. Her seventh book is The Mermaid of Black Conch.
0: And I will read out a description of Mermaid of Black Conch. April 1976, St. Constance, a tiny Caribbean village on the island of Black Conch at the start of the rainy season. A fisherman sings to himself in his pirogue, waiting for a catch, but tracks, a sea dweller he does not expect. Acacia, a beautiful young woman cursed by jealous wives to live as a mermaid, has been swimming in the Caribbean Sea for centuries and she's entranced by this man David and his song but her fascination is her undoing she hears his boat engine again and follows it finds herself at the mercy of American tourists landed on the island for the annual fishing competition after a fearsome battle she's pulled out of the sea strung up on the dock as a trophy it's David who rescues her and gently wins her trust and slowly painfully she starts to transform into a woman again but transformations aren't always permanent, and jealousy, like love, can have a force of a hurricane and last much longer. The novel's characters are an unlikely mix, a mermaid, a fisherman, a deaf boy, a Caribbean artist, a sweet nan, and a benevolent white landowner. Miss Arcadia Rain's own love story is interwoven with Acacia and David's, and the rivalries and affection in both families and the community are brought brilliantly to life. Themes of unconditional love, friendship, family loss are examined without sentimentality. Roffy manages to write convincingly about a mermaid, a legend drawn from the sea, returned to land to survive, heal, and live again as a real woman in modern times. Uh, so, Poppy, this was your choice. How did you um, come across it?
1: Yeah, it was. So, um, I followed People Tree Press, who published the print version um, on kind of social media and stuff for a while, and i have been seeing it. And been really keen to read it. Partly the cover drew me, the, um, the title, the concept. I don't know. It just, it kept coming up and I kept thinking, yes, I really want to read that. Um, and then thinking, yeah, I really want to listen to that. And then when we were looking for our next thing to listen to, it came up again and I was like, now is the time. We're going to listen to this. And yeah, I'm really glad I did. I loved it. What did you think?
0: I thought it was um, fantastic. One of the things Great. we didn't mention is that this was the Costa book of the year mm-hmm. last year. And I think that's, really well deserved it is a definitely beautiful beautiful book um there's a lot to unpack
1: yes i've got a big long list of things i want to talk about
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've got a big list to talk about as well so uh, do you want to kind of like go to your kind of the first thing that you want to talk about
1: yeah it's a really nice feature of the audio that it's got some original music on it and um, so yes. mentioned in the blurb about how the first time um Ikea and david meet he's playing his guitar on his boat and there are little guitar sections peppered throughout it, which I really love. I mean, firstly, it's really nice music, just enjoyable to listen to. But it also, it really underscores, um, IKEA's verse parts really well. Um, and especially there was a bit in chapter eight where things have kind of got a bit more hectic and more emotional and more passionate. And you can tell that change in the, in the guitar. It's not just sort of sweet plucking, it's a little, got a bit more oomph to it. Um, but yeah so it was things like that that just I thought it was really good and yeah that's something you don't get when you read in the book.
0: Yeah I think I'm kind of split about music and audiobooks I think mm. you have to use it really carefully and I think like I really enjoyed the music you used in this yeah. cuz it just accented mm. the narration it didn't um overshadow it in any way.
1: Yeah agreed.
0: And I you know coming to the narrators
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think overall they were both Excellent. Yeah, I think oh, what's the name of the male? Um, uh, ben
1: Amukwe, I think.
0: i'm uh, Ben Amukwe, I think he did a superb job overall. Yeah, uh, he's got this kind of like deep, almost baritone kind mm. of a uh, tongue to his voice, and there's kind of like a, a lifetime of lived-in experience and pain yeah. that comes through the narration.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, for those that haven't listened to it yet and, and don't know, it's written in, in three kind of different voices. You've got the like third person narration, and then you've got bits of David's diary. And then you have kind of verse parts that are from the perspective of AKA the Mermaid. And so the first two of those uh, are narrated by Bernard Wookway. And then the third parts that are read by Vivian Achampong as the voice of the mermaid.
0: Yes. So I felt uh, Vivian was excellent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: in her narration yeah. there was a real uh what's the word I'm looking for there's kind of this earnest vulnerability and strength in her performance you could kind of get that sense that she you know she was quite vulnerable and she didn't really want to open herself up too much but there's that kind of yearning for like a connection there as well
1: yeah yeah I get you and I think obviously it's quite a stark contrast those two voices um and and for that I'm quite glad that they didn't have her narrate Akir's dialogue in the main sections? I was a bit worried they, they might have done that. Um, so you know we were talking in the in the pilot episode about his dark materials, having different actors for all the different characters kind of as the dialogue goes through. I'm glad that they didn't do that. Obviously, it does mean that you're listening to it, and this person has multiple voices. So you know this character has multiple voices, but I think that was better. I think it was better to keep the sections separate rather than the voice of the character itself. does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, th- if I've got a criticism of Enrique's, uh narration, I do feel that he did occasionally struggle with the female characters, mm. somewhat in terms of like giving them distinct voices. I think especially that's especially true of um, Arcadia Rain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've I felt that he struggled a little bit there, but overall, you know, it was I, don't, I wouldn't say he it was bad, but it wasn't yeah, as it strong was. as the other stuff. Yes, that he was doing. Um, I, f- I think particularly, uh, I think my favorite character that he voiced was um Foss, the police right, captain, yeah. because he's got this really deep. It just like, uh, somehow makes
1: his deep voice go even deeper for that character, yeah. doesn't
0: it? <laughs> it just kind of like it just made me laugh. Kind of like it wasn't like a comedic thing, but it's just kind of, when you hear someone speaking dubly, it was just kind of like, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just like okay, yeah, that's and he he kind of gave the character a real size by putting on that deep baritone mm. voice as well
1: yeah and even just the difference between um david and life again you know yes. david's already got quite a deep voice almost deeper than the narrator you sort of keep going down in deepness you've got the the narrator then you've got david then you've got life and then you've got both us you kind of yeah incredible to have that much range in just how deep you can go when you start off so deep already
0: and uh the other thing that i really appreciated was the pace at which he read the text it was kind of really not relaxed, but it's kind of very slow, mm. deliberate, but l- l- yet rhythmic quality to the to the narration.
1: Yeah. No definitely. And I think it's it's really important to say so I'm really big on accent stuff and accents in literature and film and stuff like that I did a module at uni it's partly why I chose the uni in the course that I did to be fair really big into my accents and stuff like that and I think it's one of the reasons why I like listening to audiobooks because I get to listen to a particular accent for a really long time plus they're telling me a cool story (laughs) um so it's it's bringing things together but I especially like with this one so um I believe it's sort of a, a Trinidadian accent. That's certainly what the the author was saying that they wrote David's diary parts in a kind of Trinidadian dialect that they're that they're really familiar with. What I then imagine you get with the print version is that you have very standard English for the narration, and then it, it's marked by spellings and things like that, and you know dialect words in the diary sections. And there you do have a problem, and this is with everything that represents dialect, and also everything that doesn't if you then have the standard English as your narration, you've kind of given that a prestige, a priority over things, which obviously, especially when you're talking about places with a colonial past, that can be quite problematic and difficult. And it's it's something that just is a problem with writing in general. But one of the good things about listening to the audiobook is that you then get an accent that doesn't need to be awkwardly represented in, in print words. It can just, just flow out um, like that for the full narration. You know, it isn't an english voice it isn't whatever reading voice you have it is this trinidadian voice throughout it's very much of that place and i think that's definitely a benefit that you get of the uh, audio
0: yeah i'm really curious to maybe pick up a maybe paperback version of the book because that is something that i i wondered about Mm. as well in terms of how the adaptation was done because to me this sounded like it was written to be read out loud if that makes mm. sense, there's some books that you you read, and you can kind of tell they were written to be read on the paper, but this felt kind of written to be read out loud and narrated. It kind of had um that quality to it.
1: Yeah, I get you. I definitely think we did the right thing by listening to it. Um, and if anyone listening is is stuck between whether they think they should read it or listen to it, I'd definitely say listen. The only thing I yeah. think we were missing with the audio is with me looking at some reviews and stuff like that. People were talking about her like author's note and acknowledgements page and we didn't get any of that which is the same i would have liked to have had that
0: yeah i think this is one thing that i was thinking about from the sandy book that we Mm. did was that if we had like some notes in the you know either in the chapter headings or maybe just a list of notes at the end Mm. of the audio book somewhere, that would have been really useful in terms of like cross-referencing different names and stuff. But yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think for the Acknowledgements page, definitely, because the thing that I'd heard about it on, they were saying, oh, and I found loads more resources that I could go and research from her Acknowledgements page. And I was like, oh, well, we didn't have that. So yeah, that might need something kind of written. I mean, we were talking last time about the difficulty if you want to look something up and you don't know how to spell it. If you just read out a long list of references, that's not going to be great. But things like the author's note, I think really... Can just be read by one of the narrators. And I think that'd be good. And it made me think back to more audiobooks that I've listened to and gone, actually, yeah, these probably did have an author's note that maybe wasn't included. And I think that's a massive shame. I love the little things like that. I know everyone doesn't want to read them, but I think they're really cool. Yeah,
0: I uh, agree with you. I wasn't aware that there were um, author notes mm. that kind of explained the research. So let's get on to the story. Yeah. I guess. So it's kind of like, Boy meets mermaid, mermaid gets yeah. captured, and then boy rescues mermaid, but it's um oh, it's, so, it's such a good story, so yeah. uh, so well uh, so well told. So I think we're we'll gonna start getting into spoilers from here yeah. on in. So if you've not read it, here is your warning yep. about that. So we're introduced to David, he's a fisherman and he comes across Akea, who's a mermaid, and they make this connection, and then the inciting incident happens which is the uh, capture of AKEA by the fishermen. So I just want to know what you felt about the Americans, Tom and Hank Clayton and how they kind of related to IKEA and to the rest of the community as well.
1: Yeah, of course. Well I mean they definitely don't do they? They're complete outsiders and they refuse to listen to what any of the um the people of Black Conscious are saying. They refuse to consider them and they see just as as their property. I mean there's a big difference between the father and the son, but the son is still very much complicit in that. And I think that complicity is a big part of the whole novel really, isn't it?
0: I I would agree so. I think so one of the themes that does run through the novel is how things in the past can damage relationships mm. in the future and kind of ignoring things like colonial actions and you know you you can't ignore that you can't ignore that complicity if you just ignore it that's being complicit in what's happened in the past Mm
1: -hmm. he
0: wasn't doing enough to kind of separate himself from what his dad was trying to do
1: yeah something about that capture that I really did find interesting so the way the whole book is told there is a lot of flash forward flashback kind of dropping a bit of info here a bit of info there and you kind of you know from the from very very early on I mean this is quite early on anyway but from really early on you know that she does get caught by some Americans but you don't really know the nature of it so I was sort of imagining a lot worse like
0: yeah I was fearing I was like, I was like yeah oh, what have you got me into I, don't, I don't thought was
1: gonna be
0: some gruesome kind of like oh I'm gonna like, chop her up and stuff like that well
1: exactly so I'd read a poem in for my a-level I think it was GCSE, actually. Um, and basically there's, there's this mermaid and it gets, like, cut up and eaten and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's really gruesome. And I was sort of imagining stuff like this. I was certainly imagining that this capture was an end point of the story. I thought the kind of love story stuff was going to happen first and then there was going to be this capture that was going to be really devastating. So it's kind of interesting when that flipped and actually, oh, this happens at the beginning. And yes, obviously it is awful what happens to her uh, with her getting caught getting hung up what happens when she gets hung up and all that stuff but she is then rescued later that night so i thought that was yeah interesting because it it does drop you hints of what's going to happen but it never spoils the story because things are always a bit different than you expect
0: yeah i think that's it's it's quite a tricky thing that she did there's quite a brave thing to do as well because throughout the story we do kind of get especially with Akea's narration Hmm. quite often i think i felt that was at points in the future yeah yeah, so I felt that was it's a really tricky thing that she was able to
1: execute quite skillfully. Yeah, and it re- it really is a tricky thing, and she does manage it throughout. I think there was maybe one bit, and it could have I could have missed it. They're often talking about like, oh, and then she hadn't even told me her story yet, and I feel like we never actually got the point where she does tell the story. Like, I couldn't tell you when she tells David her story. Did you see? Did you hear that? Anything?
0: Oh, did she? I'm not too, too sure if she told David, but I'm i'm sure she she mentioned some stuff to
1: okay uh, to um
0: arcadia um, yeah arcadia and arcadia's son yeah but she guesses
1: a lot of it from like the people laughing in the clouds and stuff but anyway basically that was something i thought because basically by that point we know it we know what's happened to her Um, and we know how she's been cursed and stuff like that we do know that but i i I we don't need you know i sat down and then she said this to me and we don't need it telling us again i appreciate that but i think with all that mix-up of what does everyone know at different times, I think we needed something of and that's when she told me her story. I don't know, I felt like I needed to know when does this person know because there was so much of him saying in the past she hadn't even told me yet, as in okay, well, she does tell me in the future, but I couldn't pin down that point yeah. when it happened. Very, very little criticism. But just with us yeah. talking about how difficult it is to balance that, and and that's what I'm saying. It's not really a criticism because it is such a difficult thing. There's a lot of moving about. There's a lot of leaving mystery, but then dropping a little hint. And it is a very difficult thing. And I think that's why that slipped through the gap. But for me, I kind of wanted it pinned down a bit a bit more with stuff like that.
0: Yeah, see, that's not something I picked up Fair, on at all. But yeah, but it's... Coming to think about it now, then I can't actually think of the point where they Mm. had that conversation
1: with each
0: other. So, but you know, David and Akea's relationship is kind of at the heart Mm. of the story. And yeah, after David rescues this, this really tender sort of sequence of him trying to uh, rehabilitate her and her being not too sure what's going on and kind of them getting used to each other living in in that house.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think one thing. I definitely wanted to say, so I think the picture that you'll have used, certainly the picture that I've got on my on my phone with the audiobook, um, has, you know, the tagline, A Love Story. And for anyone who's like me and isn't really that massively into romance novels, don't be scared off by it. <laughs> there is a love story, There are multiple love stories in there, but there's so much more to it. That don't think of it just as a romance novel.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not just a romance novel. There is a really tender mm-hmm. Relationship between David and Arcadia, yeah. and I think between life yeah. and uh, Arcadia, and dare I say even like Priscilla and um
1: <laughs> <laughs> and both <laughs> us a little bit
0: <laughs> <laughs> as, yeah. as well. But um, yeah, it's kind of a really you know I, I love that you know that's that section of the book where they're kind of trying to he you know he's not too sure what's going on and she's not too sure what's going yeah. on, kind of getting used to each other. I think that was you know one of my favourite sections.
1: Definitely, no, I. I completely agree it's not often that i pick a favorite chapter because i mean it's a bit of a weird thing to do but genuinely i got to the end of chapter four and went this is my favorite chapter there's so many good things in it but one of the good things was like you're saying about that relationship and i wanted to pick out a particular quote that really like i know stuck with me well actually it's kind of two quotes so there's one bit where um he goes well the narrator goes he wanted to keep her safe always but he also suspected that, that wasn't what she necessarily wanted or needed and yeah that's
0: a Yeah, beautiful
1: sentences in the it? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we need that. Um, Do you mind if I go on a little side rant? (laughs) Yeah, go on. Okay, so we've been watching The Umbrella Academy recently. Um, Have you seen it?
0: I've read the graphic novels. I'm not seeing Uh, the... I've done it the
1: wrong way around. I need to read them, but...
0: Yeah, of course I've read the graphic novels, but I've not not seen the TV show. That's fair.
1: But anyway, Luther is the fucking worst, and I hate him so much. (laughs) And because he sees it in the opposite way to this, he did the kind of, I want to keep her safe. I nearly lost her and I don't want to lose her again. I'm going to keep her safe and therefore not pay any attention to what she wants. Whereas if he paid attention to what she wanted and actually treated like a fucking person, then shit wouldn't have happened. So <laughs> that's yeah. just a very recent experience of a different uh, you know, fiction where a relationship has been really broken like that. I appreciate he thought he was doing a good thing by keeping her safe, but the important thing about relationships is that it's not always what you need because then you just have one person that's being controlled they're not being themselves it was that thing and then there was another quote he wanted her but he also hoped she could be free to be whatever she wanted it's it's yeah. that it is that beautiful thing i'm not saying he's perfect there is some points where you know he wants to be the man of the house obviously in some ways he has seen her a bit as a possession um sort of partly because of her being a fish you know there's that awkwardness i'm certainly not saying he's perfect but there's moments like that he wanted to keep her safe but he knows that's not what she needs it's just perfect and i just wish there was more fiction out there that showed that about relationships that didn't tell people oh well if you if you've got good intentions then you're not doing anything wrong actually no sometimes your good intentions are wrong because they're not putting the other person first
0: yeah i think you know one of one of the notes i've got written well, two two notes i've got written down here is about kind of feminism and how the way women treat other women and then mm. kind of masculinity we've got lots of different examples of like masculinity in this book we've got we've got david we've got life mm-hmm. uh, we've got poor force and we've got the american yeah uh, the americans as well and they all kind of are trying to thread you know, especially with the americans the relationship between the the father and son mm-hmm. where The dad doesn't think that his son is like man enough. Mm. And yeah, it's kind of yeah, that's a you know, it's kind of an interesting point the way men are trying to navigate relationships with other people and what's expected of them and what society expects from
1: them. Yeah. As well. Yeah, I again One of my weird things. (laughs) I'm just exposing myself having a load of weird issues with stuff, but I really hate stuff that is like, men are like this, women are like this. And I think the important thing to remember that I need to keep telling myself is that those things are mostly from the voices of the characters who have been brought up to believe that, and have been brought up in a, this is what black conch men do. Like That's a quote from the thing. So I do appreciate that, but I just yeah I don't like kind of men of this women of this and it doesn't ruin the book at all and it is an important thing that they're exploring in the book but if you're like me and you, and you don't like being basically different genders being put into those boxes it, the book doesn't do a lot to break those boxes which is kind of somewhere I thought was lacking like it almost tries with like you say the um the American Sun, but Don't explore his story very much, which I'm fine about. That's all right. But, but yeah, I think there was a lot of this is what men are like, this is what women are like that I don't love. Doesn't ruin the book for me, but yeah. Mm. See,
0: I think what was interesting about it's not one of the main themes of the book, but one of (laughs) one of the impressions that I got from the book was that how these roles that we give ourselves kind of create rods for our own backs Mm. in certain certain situations. I think, for example, with life, you know, he's. Pride was really hurt by the fact that, um, you know, he's living basically in a, a house, not built by slave owners, but built by colonial power. And that kind of hurt his masculine pride. And, you know, people calling him you know, a house N-word
1: yeah.
0: also hurt his his pride as well. And, you know, that caused him to kind of miss out on the first 10 years of his son's life. Yeah. And who's that who's that really benefited? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not benefited him and it's not benefited his son and it's not certainly not benefited you know arcadia as well that you know definitely yeah i think it's an interesting point that you raise it's not something she's not necessarily looking to break the barriers Mm. that was set up in, in in that time
1: yeah i think it's because if you can reframe your mind and say that the kind of stuff that she's looking at is about masculinity and femininity like you say then i'm all on board it was just the kind of the repetition of women are like this, men are like that. I don't, but I I don't love that in general world. Like it always comes up, you know, in everything, just sort of little jokes and just everything is, it's always there. But yeah, for, for people like me that kind of think that there is that, but then equally you do look on things that I do think it is important of the gender. So things like how women treat other women that, you know, that is a big theme in here. The yeah. Kind of the jealousy and the hatred, and th- that is an important thing that does need to be looked at in that way as opposed to just those abstract concepts of masculinity and femininity.
0: That is for me one of the most interesting parts of the book. Mm. So, in the story, Akea is cursed by the other women in her village or yeah. in, in her tribe mm-hmm. to this, you know, eternal curse of being a mermaid, and we only get her side of the story. It doesn't sound like she did anything too terrible. Yes, she just, you know was talking to different men and different men kept on approaching her because this is a desirable.
1: It's again, one of those things where you've got to piece it all together. So at the very beginning, I wasn't sure if she was a prostitute with saying about men visiting her. Yeah. And then kind of, you know, it's not a blame on her, but that other women were blaming her, even though they should be blaming their husbands if they don't want them going visiting prostitutes. But yeah. then you learn later on, actually, no, she hasn't. She's actually a virgin. She's not had sex with anybody. And it's just that they wanted her, and it was in a culture where they were allowed to have multiple wives. But the women were jealous that their husbands were leaving and trying to marry um, this woman, or not even leaving, just trying to marry this woman. Basically, she was just minding her own business, doing absolutely nothing. But men wanted her, and therefore she was cursed with this basically chastity belt that is the fishtail.
0: Yes. So i I was really curious about the tribe, and I did. You know, maybe my, my Wikipedia research
1: mm. is, is
0: wrong, but from what I understand, it was a matriarchal society, so it's the women that had all the power mm. in that society. So, like when when you and I don't think that necessarily comes through in the book. It kind of sounds like a more uh, machismo kind of like paternalistic uh, society, but it was definitely I think it was the women who had the power who decided to cast this woman out for whatever reason. It was it's a really terrible thing that they did.
1: <laughs> it's just, it's really awful, and it's then mirrored in the future by Priscilla, who's basically yes. exactly the same thing. You know, she's jealous and therefore decides to punish this other person who's just been existing and has just fallen into that circumstance.
0: So I have to say, I I think I love Priscilla.
1: No, um, <laughs> I,
0: she uh, is just uh, she's so awful.
1: I, <laughs> I, just, I do love a villain. You have <laughs> got to love a
0: villain. Any any time she was just kind of like, oh you're so mean <laughs> awful aren't you oh I love it <laughs> it's like, yeah.
1: you She's are a, Porthos you know you are
0: It's <laughs> yeah, just like terrible <laughs> t- t- terrible woman but um
1: yeah but but so real as a terrible woman I th- you know she is a, a really good good villain and really evil but in a way that you could see people being like that
0: yeah I think she wasn't a, like a caricature by any means there's very much you know. Thankfully, I've not met someone like Priscilla. Yes. (laughs) I can imagine that, that, you know, people like her could easily exist. And any time she was kind of being narrated, I thought it was was just fantastic.
1: (laughs) That is fair. Yeah, she was pretty good. I, th- I do think that the, the supporting characters in this are really, really strong. Yeah. You know, kind of, we we're, were talking about Arcadia and life's love story being close to as big as, as the main love story. And I do think that's really wonderful. You, The main story is obviously about David and Ikea, but the story that you get with Arcadia, with Reggie, with life is so fleshed out. It's it's brilliant. I really love it. And things that, you know, almost have nothing to do with the whole mermaid concept, still there and there's such a backstory and and such a love again and so many things like that i I thought that was really brilliant the supporting cast
0: it is you know to to write one really powerful Hmm. relationship in a book is really challenging to have two yeah relationships like that i think is it's a really it's it's not easy it's just kind of like stunning achievement really Hmm. to have these four characters whose relationships sort of have parallels with each other and you know in a certain way, kind of Arcadia 's relationship with life, this longing for this man that 's gone away is kind of um foreshadowing of what david's going to be feeling in the future yeah. when um Achaia eventually leaves so I think that's kind of it was a kind of a nice way of showing you know, what david 's potential futures going to look like by exposing what was what was happening to mm. to Arcadia in the present as well
1: yeah, very good point with that
0: so kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about was. I felt the year of nineteen sixty seven was a really interesting period in which to set the okay. story, so I was just wondering what you what if you had any thoughts about that at or... all
1: I'll be honest in sort of a terrible way. I kind of didn't like the period almost didn't matter to me that much. it was sort of more in relation to you know it being thousands of years since Okyla was first there and it being a good you know half a lifetime before david's journal and stuff like that but the actual time period i think i guess because i hadn't researched much around it and things i don't really know the significance of it
0: yes i was kind of curious why she chose to set the story in this particular year and (laughs) it's kind of before cell phones
1: Mm. and
0: you know still cameras and stuff like that
1: yeah around
0: And telephones and things like that. So I kind of googled 1976, and it's kind of around that time when things around gay rights, women's liberation, um, the civil rights movement was all kind of rising up. So I think that ties into why life reacted the way that he did to certain things, and I think that certainly comes into the way with how Priscilla feels about Arcadia as well. Yeah. So um, you had kind of like a few points that you wanted to talk about. What was the next thing?
1: I did, yeah. We've pulled quite a few of them, but I mean, one thing is that this is a very sexual book, isn't it? There's a lot of um, sex stuff in there. There's oh yeah. The kind of thing. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the point that the whole thing is is a chastity belt, basically. The whole concept of the mermaid, it all comes down to sex and money, you know, with Porthos with the Americans. It's all about yes, that, and then you does, have the actual it? sex scenes. Yeah, and I like so I quite liked it. I, I like stuff that, that is like that. I did. I could have done with slightly less loin aching. Um, it, it got to the point where they were just sort of in David's house and he's like, oh, really? You're going to tell me about your aching loins again? Like, we get it. You want to fuck her? Get over it. Um, you know, I think some of it, fair enough. But I think it got to a point where it's like, we, we know that. You, you can stop saying that now. And then I, I'm still, I'm really torn about the sex scene with Akea and David as to whether it's sort of male gazy or not. Because um, obviously it is written by a female and a female who's written, as we said, with the bio, other things on sex and stuff before. But it felt a little bit kind of that male fantasy of a mermaid, but one that you can actually have sex with, uh, that really wants you, really wants to do those kinds of things to you. That I'm not saying women don't, because we do, but um, even so. And also that you're that amazing that you just rock her world. <laughs> it just... And I might be being too cynical, and I might be a bit wrong. And I'd be interested to see what you think. And I certainly didn't dislike it, but there was just a little bit of that in there. And then there's a bit later when he when he says, "I had put on her all kinds of man dreams," which kind of suggests that he thinks that as well. And yeah, it was just a weird tension. I couldn't work it out.
0: Yes, yeah, so I think th- there was a a couple of things that um I was thinking about as I as I listened to that section. So one of the things that occurred to me was that you know David is is seen as a sexual object himself by Priscilla. So Priscilla mm, doesn't want yeah. like any long term thing with him. He, she's just furious that he's chosen to be with someone else. So
1: yeah.
0: I kind of i did i did get that, but you know, I also take on your point about, I'd have to listen to the chapter again because that's not something that occurred to me.
1: That's fair um,
0: at the time because I felt it was very much from Akia's. Mm you know that sense of oh, she doesn't know what this is all about are yeah. these, these secrets that have been kept kept yeah. from her like her sisters and all that sort of thing as well so yeah
1: yeah and I, I think it's one that kind of I don't know I guess I just wanted to mention it for people listening like feel free to let us know what you thought because I have read a couple of other reviews recently about books with erotic scenes that have really criticized the sort of male gaze aspect of them um and it is weird and obviously because everyone has different things that they like and then some people say, "Oh well, that's a really male or really female thing. It's like, well, actually, it's not it's just an individual thing, and it's not it's just sort of yeah, I kind of wanted to put it out there. I don't necessarily think it's contributing to that male gazy stuff or anything it was It was weird because, yeah, I did think a lot of it was kind of oriented for okay and stuff like that, but it was just it kind of felt like the overall narrative was he's captured this mermaid who he's able to have sex with and really wants to have sex with him and blows her <laughs> mind, and it was sort yeah. of <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: It, it felt like it was that, that fantasy, which then, like I say, David seems to then say that later on.
0: Well, he also kind of, like David does kind of big up his own sexual trauma. Yeah,
1: as <laughs> yeah well. he
0: does. A bit as well. it's as always just like, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just fantastic in bed. Right? You <laughs> know what I mean? <laughs> just kind of, so, um, yeah, the, you know, there is, the, I think, yes, there certainly is a bit of that. I also think it's really difficult to write mm. sex scenes that yeah. are from the male gaze because, like...
1: Well, because everyone. Because that...
0: culture is built on yeah. kind of seeing women as sex objects, as kind of like describe that
1: described um... that. No, definitely. And because of how much women are told that they're not meant to enjoy sex, then means that if you sow something with sex being enjoyed, it seems like it is from a male perspective. It's that. Slipping back to the dialect stuff, there's a lot of issues that we're not going to fix that just are tricky with representing stuff like that, um, for sure. But it's just it's interesting to talk about.
0: Yes, I think it def- definitely is so.
1: Could I mention Uh, something else, that would? Yeah,
0: yeah, go ahead, yeah.
1: Or just because, again, on kind of difficulties of representation and stuff like that. I'm quite invested in disability representation in literature as well. Um, And I'm not disabled myself, but it's obviously very important. And I've been trying to educate myself better on it and things like that. And I think it's something that we can't ignore about this book. It says in the blurb about the different characters. So, you know, you've got Reggie, who is deaf. um, You've got Arcadia, who is rehabilitated and learning how to walk again. Um, You've got a character who's actually called short leg because of a a leg deformity. And I I read quite a lot of reviews after I listened to this, hoping to find some sort of commentary on this disability representation. And I couldn't find one anywhere. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I I think it is important. And I am not the person to say whether it's good representation or bad representation because I'm not part of those groups. And I'd love to hear what people who are part of those groups think there's some things that I thought were kind of good and some things that I thought were kind of problematic. So, because Reggie is clearly used as someone else who is isolated, just like Akeo is isolated in the sea. He has been isolated because he doesn't speak to the other kids because he can't hear them and they don't know sign language. There was was clearly that, and I don't know how other people feel about him sort of being used in that way. But having said that, he is a full character with full personality and everything like that. And I, I did really love Again, from chapter four, stuff about his independence and things like this. And there was a line that was um, none of that trying like hell to fit into the hearing world when he was so permanently different. He wanted to be himself, and I really loved that. Um, I hope I'm not wrong to love that. I did think that was that was some good. Some so good it's stuff.
0: interesting that you. So I think his disability is part of his isolation, but I think a really large part of his isolation is always that the fact of who his mum is,
1: yeah, and
0: uh, the you know the fact that he's mixed raced mm-hmm. and kind of the era in which the story takes place so i'm you know, looking back at the book you know kind of priscilla's attitude towards white people mm. certainly the way david um uh, not david life reacted um as well when his son was born just kind of makes me think you know maybe there is you know maybe race is another reason why um yeah
1: certainly definitely it's, it's one factor of many um well, then I had another one with that. So like when kid is learning to walk, that is obviously quite an important plot point and things like that. And it's always going to be a bit awkward. And like I say, I'm not the person to say about it. But what I would say is that there was this, there was a part, I didn't write down the exact quote, but it was something like about her learning to walk. And then it was like, like everyone does. And I was just like, that's just a bit shitty, mate. Because yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. what you're saying then, if someone listens to or reads this, who doesn't themselves walk is, I forgot about you. That's what you're saying. Yeah. You, it didn't yeah. need that quantification. They could have said, um, like David did, then he when he was young, or just like like many people do, or something like that. Which yes, someone might still feel a little bit alienated because they didn't have that experience. But at least you're not just outright saying I forgot you, which I think is yeah. what that everyone did, and I didn't really, I didn't really love that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. It's not something I picked up on. Mm. To be fair, kind of like the disability <laughs> angle. Yeah. Um, kind of like because I just I. <laughs> maybe this sounds a bit naive i just felt that reggie's story i I think part of it was about his um definitely of course it was was, you know Mm -hmm. a major part of his life but i think for me reggie's story is really about his you know what his future was going to be and what his Mm -hmm. relationship with his dad was going to be so maybe i was focusing on that a bit more than kind of you know whether or not his representation as a deaf person was um, fair and accurate,
1: of course. And, not, yeah. and no, and I think that's perfect. And that's one of the good things about it is that he does have so many different aspects to his personality that you find in a lot of books where characters have disabilities and then that is it. That's that's all there is to them, which is is shit. And that is one of the things you definitely can praise this for is he has so much going for in and he is so fabulous. But I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to mention it on this podcast. I didn't want to just. Not mention it because I think yeah. people who aren't affected by it don't necessarily read those things into books. So, read problematic books and go, This is amazing, everybody read this, and not realize that it can actually be harmful for people. And then, new people read those books and they write their own books and they keep harmful things in there. And it's that kind of thing that I sort of just like I say, I'm not qualified to say what's good or not, but I kind of want to be putting that out there and making people think about it.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that's definitely a fair point. So, I think I've covered most of the points that i wanted to come so i think in terms of recommendations this for me is like yeah definitely go 100 and yes. listen to this book it's absolutely
1: fabulous yeah um, if you yeah if you can't listen to it for whatever reason then reading it it's a phenomenal story it's really well written and you will get so much out of the print version if you can and want to listen to it definitely do that i think there's a lot of benefits with you know the accents and stuff the different narrators uh the music that we talked about the the pacing and everything it uh, would be my top choice
0: it is it's yeah really well done on the production the you know the music the narration and yeah it's a fabulous fabulous book and it's i can see why it won the the costa book award Definitely. as well so yeah definitely any any final comments poppy
1: no I mean I've spoken about loads <laughs> thank you for letting yeah. me just jabber on
0: <laughs> yeah that's uh that's fine uh, really actually I, I should thank you because this is not a book that I would have ever picked up yeah I, I just think kind of like mm, mm, yeah not really really for me but I'm really I'm really glad that I read it Good. so or listen to it so yeah it's uh yeah thank you for that
1: no you're very welcome
0: please subscribe and leave a review for audiobookish on podcast app you're using to Definitely. listen to this too
1: let us know on insta and stuff what you thought of this book we'd love to chat kind of outside of the podcast as well that'd be great
0: yep yeah so we're on instagram facebook and twitter at audio bookish pod um and please send us your recommendations as well
1: mm-hmm. thank you guys thanks so much bye bye